Amen. All the time. I love that. That's true. You know, if, if you would have told me in the 80s, we would be here in 2022. I'd have been stunned. I don't know. I, I can't imagine that. I remember being in the altar at a youth camp and crying because God was coming that night and I would never get to drive a car. I would never get to see who my wife was going to be. I'd never have a child. I remember that. It was horrible. <laughs> horrible. I was like, I, Lord, I wish I could know who would marry if I was going to be here. Remember that. It was a horrible time. The 80s were rough. rough. God was at coming all the time in the 80s. And then the 90s, you know, different things happened. I remember 2000, that was the end. Computers are going to turn over. That's it. This is all going to shut down. We better get in the house of the Lord tonight. It's done. And here we are, man, 22 years later. That's crazy. After that time. And I, I still believe God's coming. I believe he's coming any time. I have to be careful to live like he's coming tonight, but plan and think and, and do those things like he could come another hundred years from now. I know uh, Pastor says it a little better the way than that, but the, that's the idea, having both those things at the same time. Keep my heart and my life right like he could come this moment, because when he does, it will appear to be that way. All right, everybody got a handout now? Awesome. I am teaching tonight about the wonderful word repentance. Repentance. Everybody say repentance. All right. Repentance. You'll find repentance in the word in the concept of repent and the concepts involved in it all over the Bible. Pick it up anywhere and you'll almost put your finger on the word repent. Repentance involves two things, and I've kept the blanks easy for you. People that don't like 20 or 30 blanks, you only have 10 blanks tonight. God bless you. Repentance involves two things. Sorrow or grief, you can put in there. That's the first thing, sorrow or grief. You always find that with repentance. That doesn't mean necessarily emotion. It can be a heavy emotion. It can be a very much just a mental understanding of sorrow or grief. I've got the change. And the second one is a change of mind. We'll talk about that outwardly. But everything starts in your change of mind. So repentance really has two major factors. Sorrow or grief and a change of mind. Uh, this uh, Bible writer named Smith says, Sorrow alone accomplishes nothing. Peter was sorry he denied Christ and he repented. Judas was sorry he betrayed Christ, but instead of repenting, he killed himself. Sorrow by itself does not accomplish what we want tonight. Sorrow is important. And we've all seen the situation, whether it's a child or an adult, say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that happened, I'm sorry I got caught, I'm sorry I said that. We have a lot of um, apologies, not apologies today from many famous people. They'll apologize, but only after someone's pointed out to them. But that sorrow by itself doesn't make the difference of repentance. <clears throat> there must be a change of mind. Have you ever heard of this phrase? Sorry, not sorry? Is that even in the Bible? Let's find out. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about that concept. Now I'm happy, he says, I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. 
he wrote a letter before chastising them for, for their gross sin, for the evil, wicked things that they were not only allowing in their, their body of believers, but proud about and happy about. But I'm rejoicing that your sorrow goes somewhere. Where did the sorrow go? It led somewhere. Where did it lead? It led to repentance. You see, sorrow by itself doesn't have to go anywhere. But this sorrow led somewhere. It led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Isn't that a funny phrase? How can you be sorry in a godly manner if it leads to a change of mind? If that emotion of sorrow or that feeling of sorrow doesn't lead there, then it's not a godly sorrow. It, uh, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to, here it's going someplace else, to salvation. Important to understand, these people had not just gotten the Holy Ghost, had not just been baptized in Jesus' name. They're part of the Acts church we find in Corinth that started in Acts 10. These are believers. These are people that, that are filled with the Spirit. Repentance is not something that we experience one time and then we're done. One time and I'm over. I repented when I got the Holy Ghost, you might say, and now I'm finished. But that's not the case. Repentance is every time we realize that we've done something or we have an idea or an attitude or in some way have gotten a hold of the world's wickedness and we realize we've got to have grief and sorrow and that's not right. And then it turns to a change of mind. Amen? So this repentance or this sorrow is not to be regretted. They didn't later on feel bad about having that sorrow. But the sorrow of the world, that's just distress, that's grief, that's pain, that's agony, that sorrow produces death. Godly sorrow means a change of heart and leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow, just shame and pain and distress, that without any change, that will lead to death. Now, this is something that the world experiences all the time, and, 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 and matter of fact, all humans do, but their reaction is opposite of what the church is supposed to be. For the most part in the world, when people experience something that God calls sin, their soul has a reaction to that. They feel something they call shame or embarrassment or just an inability to sleep. Wickedness can do things to your soul. <clears throat> So many people in the world try to find some way to solve the feeling without changing the action, right? We want medication, we want counseling, we want to maybe do other activities to forget about it, we want to hold our phone in front of our face till we fall asleep and the phone hits us on the head till the very last minute, so we want to think about our lives or our own frustrations, our own hurts, our own pains. That's what the world does with that shame. That's a natural thing. Now, you can work hard enough and long enough to burn some of that shame off. The Bible calls that is burning your conscience, though. That's putting your conscience to where it doesn't feel like it used to when you were a kid. Are you still with me? But God's design for shame is to turn us to him, not away from him. His design for pain and agony and distress of life is to turn to him and say, God, I want a change of mind. Let this grief, this sorrow, lead somewhere. All right. So uh, this little sentence is amazing. Sorrow in itself doesn't produce anything except bad feelings. 
Godly sorrow produces repentance. Since repentance is a change in both thinking and action, we can tell if sorrow is really good by seeing if it produces repentance. So godly sorrow cannot be measured by tears or feelings, but by what it produces. Some people are very good at crying when they get in trouble. Yeah, I've been around some of those people. And I, I have cried when I got in trouble before, but I wasn't so good at producing the fountain of tears on demand. I know some that could do that. And they would just cry and cry and cry. And whoever was in charge of them would just like, oh, please stop crying, hug them, it'll be okay. And they get away with whatever they think they could get away with. But God is not like man, right? God's not like us. God sees beyond just the outward tears. Now, you may have a time of crying for the Lord in repentance. That's appropriate. Or you may not. You may spend a couple hours in praying, or you may spend a minute. But if your heart is, has truly godly sorrow and grief for what God is showing you about yourself, then the thing that has to happen for it to lead anywhere is that you have to have a change of heart and mind. There's got to be a change. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have that happen again. I don't want to be there again. I don't want God to look at me and say, that's wrong, and me say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to miss, have a feeling that I could miss the rapture again. I don't want to have grossness of this world in my heart and my mind again. I want to change. I want things to be different. Amen? That, that's, that's a power. We can't judge it by tears. We can't judge it by sorrow, because that's outward. Only God can. But we can judge in ourselves as well. Is there a change? Is there a difference? Now that's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads someplace. The sorrow of the world doesn't. All right. So the main word, here's our main word, our main event, the main word. There's a word that prophets of the Old Testament used to help us people understand repentance because repentance is difficult. It's hard to get a hold of. Repentance is a lot like many words we've used that they sort of lost their meaning over time or we've not really understand what they mean. To say repent or repentance to someone today is like, well, I should say I'm sorry. I should say, oh, boy, I won't do that again. You know, repentance is best understood today in the concept of the cookie jar. You know, we grab the cookie, you know, you're not supposed to, or in my case, my wife makes food for a church event, and she says, now, this is for the church, and I say, great, and then I'm walking by in the kitchen, and I find something that she's made that I think is probably not fit for the church's consumption, so I'm just trying to be helpful, and I <laughs> try to help out. By, I eat that thing and take it away and try to hide it, and she sees me walking away, but my, lip, my, my jaws are you know, moving, <laughs> and she's like, Scott, are you, t- are you eating my stuff? No, I no, I say no, I just tasted that. That was not I wouldn't eat it. I would just want to just see what the taste was like. That's all. I was gonna spit it out afterwards. There's no intention. So in that situation, you would say, Well, repentance is that I would say, Oh, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. That's how we normally think of repentance. That's the world's definition. Repent, what does that mean? Oh, I won't do it again. Sorry. Sorry it's caught, I won't do it again. That's not what the Bible says. There's this big word, and I want you to write it with all caps. The word is TURN, T-U-R-N. That is the Bible word. 
Now, turning is not a glance. That's a glance. And turning is not looking. Turning involves my feet and, and my hips and my shoulders. Do you see that? That's a turn. Stand up with me right now. Let, we've got to practice this, otherwise you won't get the message. You've got to, some of you are just all sleeping on me anyway, so you've got, to, you've got to stand up. And some are doodling, and, and that's okay. Brother Tim, it's all right to doodle. It's fine. I don't worry about your doodles. I can't make them out anyway. So, now I want you, we're going to go that direction. Are you ready? Real slowly, wherever you're at in the church, completely take your feet, angle them that way, and turn all the way. Look, some of you still aren't doing very well. God love you, bunch of rebellious people. All right, now turn back. Now I want you to go the other way, all the way, as far as you can go. Go back this way. Some of you, this is the only exercise you've had today. God bless you. All right, you can be seated. Turning is very powerful. Someone say turn. Turning is not just saying, I feel grief, I feel sorrow, I feel agony, I feel the message. Oh, what a good message the pastor preached. I felt the Lord. Did you turn? No, but I did feel a lot. I felt the Holy Ghost. Did you have, did you have any like, Anything changing in life? Yeah, man, I whew, felt a lot of that. And some of, ooh, and I felt, oh, God. Did you, nothing else? No, just, not, just a lot of feel. Okay, turning is powerful. Turning takes intentionality. I was talking to my nephew Todd, and Todd said, Uncle Scott, I think it's like the only reason you turn is if you want to go a different direction. So that's obviously it's true, but that's a wonderful statement. That's true. And how often in my life have I met people with their, with their toes pointed this direction and can, trying to convince me, I do not want to go that way. You don't? No, no, I love the Lord. I want to go that way. But, but you're, you're, you're pointed this direction. Yeah, but I'm, just for right now. But I love the Lord. I want to go that way. I, 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 I care about the things of God. I want to be saved. I want a family that loves God. But it looks, for all I can tell, like you're still headed that direction. There are a lot of people in church that would, that would confess with their mouths. I love this church. I, I, and I love the gospel. And I love the things of God. And I want to do what, what God wants me. But where, what direction are you, are you going? I'm going that direction. But you, will say, you keep saying, I want to go over here. Those things are inconsistent. Matter of fact, the Bible says that with your mouth you say all kinds of good things, but your heart is far from me. Amen? It, it, it's incredibly important to realize where you're facing. Now, now, the question is not if you've fallen down or not. That's not the question. That's not the question if you've, if you've fallen off the path or not. Because if you're human, you have. The point is not to say, I'm going to be perfect now. It's going that direction. Even if you fall, fall in the right direction. Amen? That's a powerful thing. If you fall in the right direction and you're, and you're five and a half feet tall, at least you're five and a half feet further when you get up. Maybe. Depends how that works logically. I'm not sure. Now I'm thinking about it. Where your feet be where your head is at. 
I'm not, I don't know, maybe that works better. Works better in illustration than it does in pure mechanics. All right. So is it true? Let's put it to the test. Some of you like to know, is it really true? Did the prophets, did they all talk about turning? Is that really in the Bible? Here we go. Ready? Joel chapter 2. Joel says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with, so bring some other things, fasting, and with weeping, and mourning, and rend, or tear your heart, and not your garments. That was their, that was their custom. Can you imagine that if we did that today? Someone say, I am sorry, God, and they just start popping shirt, shirt buttons. I am sorry for the way I've lived, and their sleeve just gets half, torn in half. They take their jacket off and start ripping it. That's how they showed sorrow, outward sorrow. But God was sick of that. He said, you, you're doing all this outward stuff, and it has no meaning on the inside. So I want you to tear your heart and not your clothing, and turn unto the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow, super slow, very, 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 very slow to anger. You think about it, Jezebel, she was a wicked, horrible woman, bloody hands of all the evil she had done, evil that she had done to God's people and to to some of the prophets, evil she had done by mixing the day of fasting. She proclaimed a day of, a time of fasting to cover her sin of murder. She literally used God's things for how to murder people. And the message came out, you are going to die. The dogs are going to lick your blood and eat your body. It's going to happen. And you would think, yes, that woman of any body deserves it. You would say of her, you would say, Jezebel, you need Jesus, like they say. But you would really mean it this time. Because her life was so wicked, so horrible. And yet, check it out in the Bible. It took 17 years for that judgment to show up. What in the world? Why, why was that? Because God is slow to anger. He gives us time to repent. He gives us space to repent. Why has the Lord come back since I was a kid? Why hasn't he come back since the 1980s? Because God has no desire for people to, to, to be destroyed. He said, I, I, I don't delight in the death of the wicked. He gives men and women time to repent. I am thankful for that. Are you thankful for God has given you time to repent? Thank you, Lord Jesus. He's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil, or he, he turns away the evil. Jeremiah said, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. And Zechariah, therefore you'll say to them, This is what the Lord of hosts says. Now that word, that phrase, Lord of hosts, is another word saying, Lord of the angel armies, or the Lord of the armies of heaven. That's what the Lord of hosts. Host means the army. That's what the Lord is. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. Mm. Spurgeon said, you can't turn towards God without turning from the things he's against. Mm. You can't turn towards God 
without turning from the things he's against. We always think about the song about breakthrough. Remember that breakthrough song we sing? Breakthrough, breakthrough this, breakthrough that, breakthrough this, breakthrough, breakthrough some more. Breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. Remember that song? It's, it, it's, I have the words a little different, but it's close. I'm close. It's, it's almost, almost the same thing, almost verbatim. And whenever I think about the song Breakthrough, I think to myself, hmm, there's no real breakthrough. And so until there's a break from, because you'll be stretched out like this trying to break through to what God has, if you, as long as you're holding on to what he's against. You're holding on to what he's against and trying to break it. Why can't I get my breakthrough? You've got to let go of that. You can't turn towards God until you turn away from what he's against. Mm. I, I, I pray with all my heart that this word sinks down into your spirit, that you receive the word of God. What does Isaiah say? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's interesting. So your behavior, your way, the way you live can be wicked in God's sight. Not in the sight of man, but in God's sight. And the unrighteous man, his thought. So you can be wicked in your behavior and you can be unrighteous up in here in your thoughts. And I think everybody in this building can fall into one of those two camps. Everybody. If you're human, you can fall into one of those two camps. And sometimes the same day. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amos chapter 4 mentions five different calamities that God caused to happen on his people. However, they did not and would not repent of their evil ways. And they refused to call on God. After each of the severe difficulties, God says, Yet you have not returned unto me. Listen to those five. You have an empty stomach, God said. You can't find bread anywhere. I've allowed that to happen. Yet, you've not returned unto me. God said, I withheld rain. And I sent it on a different city or a different field. And you're struggling and staggering around for water. Yet, you've not returned unto me. I, hey, don't go too fast, guys. I like this section. You're flipping away and flying away. Flip back for a minute. Stay with me. Come on. Okay, two. I, I, got, I got another minute, right? Stay with me. He said, this is, this is really powerful stuff. He said, I put blight and mildew on your gardens. The locusts have eaten your figs and olive trees. Yet, you have not returned to me. The Egyptian plagues, God said, I, I put some of those on your, on your people. And I've killed your young men and filled your nostrils with the stench of their death. And yet, you've not returned to me. God said, I've overthrown some of you like in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know the perversions of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's talking to his people. And yet, he says, you've not returned to me. Now listen to this. He says, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Now I want you to grasp this. He who forms the mountains, he who created the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns the dawn into darkness, 
the one that treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. When they say prepared to meet, that, that's a phrase that meaning battle. So line up all your generals and your archers and your, your powerful young men. Put all the horses in array. If God is the enemy you're facing, you're over with. If God is fighting against you, it doesn't matter what good you've done. We always talk about, if God be for me, who can be against me? And I want that. But if God is for, against you, who can be for you? These are God's people. These are the people that God said, you hurry to go to the house of God, Bethel, so you can continue sinning. God said, you take advantage of each other. You've got innocent blood in your hands. Okay, keep on sinning. Keep on offering me all your tithes and your offerings and doing all your outward parts, but I know your heart. And God says, prepare to meet your God. He said, I'll, have, I'll get fish hooks and I will put them in your jaw and I'll pull you out of the place I gave you. Wow, that is serious conversation. Nobody wants to, to meet that kind of God. That's why God calls, but why is this prophet saying these things? So they would turn. That's the whole conversation they would turn. In the New Testament, a key term for repentance is metonia. It has those two usual senses, a change of, of a change of mind. This idea goes beyond sorrow and contrition. It involves turning from evil and turning to the good. Turning from evil and turning to the good. So first, the bad news. Anybody ever ask you that question? So would you like the good news or the bad news? How many here in this, this building do you like to hear the good news first? If they ask you the question, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you like the good news first. Nobody likes the good news first in the building? Oh, yes, one. Okay, one person. Now, if only one other, one other person raises their hand, that means 99% of you don't have hands that raise. How many of you like to hear the bad news first? Okay, a lot of people do. Wow. Anybody want to change their former opinion? Anybody like to hear the good news first? Anybody else? Just one. That's it? And only one person. Wow. Two. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Just curious. It doesn't make a difference. I'm not doing polling data that's going to be reported, but I'm just curious how it's going on. All right. So, first, the bad news. Six years ago, my lovely Jen was diagnosed with cancer. Man, that talk about some bad news. That'll get your attention. Uh, major bad news. After enduring the horrors of chemo, she had radiation three times a week for multiple weeks on end. It's very hard to do, say what you're going to do when you're in that situation. We always talked about if we ever got there, we would just, you know, pray and believe God and do remedies and that sort of thing. But at the time, we had two young boys still living at home, and we believed, we prayed, Lord, you know, whatever you want us to do. But Jen said, I've got to fight this thing. We prayed. We had others pray for us. We had, went to prayer services. And whatever reason, God allowed us to go through it. Um, no one would volunteer, willingly volunteer for that kind of remediation without some factual and even visible confirmation from multiple sources. You see, understand what I'm saying? I had to, we had to know for sure, without a doubt, is this what she has? Is, it really, do we, is that really the truth? To truly see you know, the scans that they showed us 
First, you hear the extremely bad news. I mean stomach-churning, world-stopping bad news. And then you ask, what do I do? What are our options? How do we fix this? Is there a remedy? That's what your natural thing is. What do I do now? Cancer to me before this point was, we'll pray for you. That was what my, my version of it was. I just didn't know what it meant, except it was really horrible. And I said, we're, you know, we're going to pray for you. But when you're in it, it's a different story. All of a sudden, it's, this is us. We've got to go through this. And that was horrible. You, I'd take her to the radiation uh, place for her, her weekly, or actually every other day during the week session. And man, that was so difficult in her throat and on her arm and just the, that powerful beam killing all those bad cells. And in a similar state, God's word always starts with the bad news. It doesn't start with the good news. The world loves the good news of the gospel concept, but the Bible starts with the bad news. The depth of your repentance is determined by how clearly you understand your lost condition without him. If you understand how horrible it is, you will go to great extremes. If you understand it is a death sentence you're carrying about in your body, more than cancer, but for your entire eternity, you'll go to great extremes. You must be thoroughly convinced how desperately you need him before you'll take desperate actions. Amen. Nobody in this building or in this earth is strong enough or good enough or holy enough or has enough good deeds in their past or is full of enough love to save themselves. No one. Every person is full of the cancer of sin. It is literally eating them alive and destroying their life, perverting what is good and normal and wholesome. And all of us are under the death sentence of sin. Yeah, that's a powerful thing to realize that. This is why most of America's Christianity is a weak Christianity. Mostly useless. Because if Christianity is about being a good person and being nice to others, and being doing good deeds, there's something that's, that, 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 that we all would say was, well, that's just an option. That's nice if you need it. Well, good. Maybe, I don't, maybe you like to go there. That's fine. Maybe you need you know, to believe in a higher power. But once you understand the power of sin and its destruction on your body and life, you'll cry out like they did, men and brethren, what should we do to be saved? What causes that? realizing I am in trouble without repentance, without his help. That is a whole different version of Christianity than the Christianity of love others and be good to people and do good things. You see how one is weak and powerless to really make a change. It's a, it's a choice you could make, and it's not a really great choice. Who would choose it? It's some painful choice. It'd be better to just stay home and watch TV or do something else or go off on a pursuit you like. But, it would, but a whole thing flip-flops when you realize, I am under a death sentence of sin, and I need him desperately. Amen. Amen. Take away the bad news, and repentance is meaningless. When Jesus started his ministry, he did not preach about... How to become a better person. 
He did not preach about how to get along with everybody or doing good things and helping the poor. You would think that's something Jesus would talk about, but he didn't. Or the joy of having the Holy Ghost or the promises of healing and deliverance and wonders. Instead, he preached the same message that John the Baptist preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know that's a lot to write. I did it on purpose. It's a, it's a very important thing. It was his first message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he preached. Jesus, what are you going to say when you talk to the crowds for the first time? We're talking about repentance. You know, that's a good one, but let's, let's, let's do something different. Let's talk about how following you would just be the awesomest thing in the world. No, no. Let's talk about how you're going to see miraculous things and healing and wonders and signs. No, he's preached repentance. That's the only way that the Holy Ghost can come in, right? Matter of fact, if you want the Holy Ghost, you can't get there except you go through repentance. And if you've got the Holy Ghost, whether you know it or not, you must have gone through repentance. Amen. Even if you didn't have an official time to repent, or you weren't spending hours on your knees, or recounting everything you've done wrong, the moment you truly meant it, the moment you truly repented. That time when you had a change of sorrow and a change of heart and mind. I want a difference for my life. This has got to change. God, forgive me. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost has freedom to come in. Mm. So think about this. Peter and John could have preached a different message than on Acts chapter 3. The Bible says, remember the lame man that was healed? Silver and gold have I none, such as what I have given to thee. The lame man was excited. He had never had the ability to go into the temple. A physical deformity prevented him from going into the temple. And now he is jumping, bouncing, laughing, dancing, shouting, and worshiping. And finally, in between the two disciples, Peter and John on either side of him. And what a great time. People are rushing over to see what happened. You can imagine all the great messages they could have preached. What, we've got a crowd. We've got a group. This is happening just like Jesus said it was. They can say, God loves all of you. And he wants to heal everybody in the crowd. They didn't preach that. They could have said, you can be part of our assembly. Join us. We meet over here at Martha's house, over there, the vineyard that go in that direction. You'll feel loved and appreciated. Oh, people care about you. They didn't preach that message either. Here's the message they preached. Here's the title. Ready? You might want to put this with exclamation points, each one. You are not okay. That was probably not a good message to preach. <laughs> I can imagine John saying, um, Peter, you're losing the crowd. This is, this is a bad one. People are not going to become be attracted to us. You are not okay is not a great message. I would love to hear someone preach that. Here's the message title. You, yeah, you right there. You're not okay. That's horrible. As our world says things like, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Here's what they preach. You're not okay. He instantly begins to say, this man that stands here in between us, remember the guy that you insisted that the Roman soldiers kill? He died because of you and because of our sins. We didn't heal this guy because we're holy or because we have secret sources of power. 
It was that name of the man you demanded to be killed and faith in his name that makes him stand before you whole. You are not okay. You're guilty of the body and blood of the Messiah. And you might think he laid a guilt trip on him, but he did, totally. You are guilty. They say, we, we didn't touch him. It wasn't my hands. Some of them might not have even been there. You're all guilty, he says. Your sins put, you, put him there. He would say this today to us. You are not okay without Jesus Christ. Boy, I'd love to see that as a message preached at a, uh, maybe a, a, an article written in the, in the Tribune from a religious editor. You are not okay. Because <laughs> the world's message is, we're all good. Everybody's good. We're all okay. We're doing, we're doing your best. But that's not what they preached. Why was he preaching that? Because unless we repent, what's the Bible say? You'll all likewise perish. That's what the word says. That's a powerful message. That's got to be uncomfortable to hear. How did it turn from excitement and jumping and bouncing, and here's the guy in the middle, to you are not okay? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, what, what, a, what a huge twist that is to like, whoa, what did we do? We didn't do anything. We're, we're, not even, we're, just, we're part of the crowd. We're coming to see. But that's the message that the Lord is trying to communicate to the entire world. Unless we repent, there's no open door of all the beautiful things you want in the rest of the word of God. All the things you want over here come through this door of repentance. And you know what? As I can say, and I hope others can say with me, that's a daily walk. That didn't happen for me in 1970, and I'm done. I was five years old. I repented. I don't even know what I repented of. I don't know what five-year-olds repent of, but I repented of it. I was sure sorry about it, and I cried, and I was on the steps like right there, and the Sunday school teacher came behind me and prayed, and I got the Holy Ghost. That was 1970. That seems like a long time ago, and I'm only 30, so that's crazy. I don't know how that even works. Some of you are challenging me, challenging my math. I can feel it in the audience. But, but, but do you think that's the last time I need to repent? Come on. We are all human beings. We're in a world of sin and wickedness. It doesn't take much at all to get crossways with God or get off the path and realize, God, why am I over here? And I wanted to go that way. There comes a sorrow in my heart and a grief and realization. I've got to change, and I'm going to turn myself and face a different direction. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. All right, I'm closing with this last part, the good guy. It's Matthew chapter 19 and Luke 18. Jesus meets a rich young ruler. And he has a question that applies to everybody. The question is, who is good? He uses it kind of in a, in a conversational way. Oh, good teacher, good master. Tell me how I can be saved. Good. And Jesus quickly turns it around and says, there's no one good but God. Of course, he, Jesus is God in the flesh. But that is bad news for the rest of us. There is no one good but God. What does the word say? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody needs to look at him and say, Lord, you're carrying my sin. Please forgive me, wash me, and cleanse me today. Make me new in the Holy Ghost today.
So why did Jesus start, well, of all things, if his explanation, with the Ten Commandments? Those Ten Commandments are the diagnosis of your sickness. And by the way, he only mentioned six. And if you'll notice real carefully, Jesus only talked about the six that relate to how you, you and other people connect. The four that talk about how the rich young ruler connects with God, he didn't mention those. And I have a feeling that the rich young ruler was doing pretty good with people, but not so good with God. And ruler, in this phrase, means religious leader. So it's always funny that when Jesus comes in contact with those who are religiously in power or important religious people, those are the ones he, that struggle the most with Jesus, right? Those are the ones he says the harshest things to. Jesus doesn't mention the other, other ones, just mentions those six. So the, here's the theme. Unless you understand that you're hopelessly lost on the basis of your own goodness, you'll find no use for the gospel. You've got to examine yourself against the Ten Commandments. There's not a person in this room that hasn't lied. And if you say you haven't lied, add that one more to the tally. Find me a, find me a woman in the world that hasn't been covetousness of someone else, of what they have, how they look, their family, the peace they have. Find me one guy in the world that hasn't had immoral thoughts in his mind. They don't exist. Find me someone who hasn't been disobedient to their parents. It doesn't exist. If you measure yourself against the Ten Commandments, you quickly find out you, can, you have not kept them. You are not pure and holy. You are lost for eternity unless someone comes and takes your place. I remember reading a man many years ago said, in truth, no one actually breaks the Ten Commandments. People instead break themselves against the commandments. And we do. We break our lives. We break our families. We break our marriages. We break our hearts, even our own sanity against them because we, we turn from what God has to say. And I want you to recognize something about God. God is not the dietician uh, that follows you around slapping the chocolate out of your hand. That's not God. God's not, God doesn't say, if it tastes good, spit it out. That's not God. Although people feel like, why is God always against all the things that are fun in the world? Why is God always against all the things that people enjoy to do? God's not against the things that are good for you. But like any father and his children, he understands. Sin corrupts his own children. Sin twists and perverts. Sin steals from us the things that we love. Sin hurts us. And therefore, God hates sin. Sin separates, ultimately, God's most wonderful creation that he loves from him. Sin pulls you away. Sin brings darkness and not light, so you can't even see clearly. Sin can blind you to the fact that how much God loves you and he's calling your name. If you examine yourself against the Ten Commandments, that's what Jesus did. He showed us an example that all mankind have got to start with the bad news, that there is no good guy except him. If you could walk into the throne room of the Lord Almighty right now, your excuses, your justifications for your sins would wither and die in your mouth. All of your comparisons between you and other people 
and what they could get away with, can't get away with, would vanish. You would quickly realize that not only is he a God of love, but also he's a God of pure righteousness and justice. Isaiah was brought by vision into the holy place. He saw the angels. And the, the angels had to cover their faces in the presence of God. The prophet says, I am undone, or I am uncovered or exposed. My heart is exposed. I'm a man of unclean lips. That was a reaction from the prophet of God in God's presence. Quickly had to just confess it. I need God. When Daniel saw an angel, Daniel lost his strength to stand up. Laid on the ground like a dead man, the angel had to give him strength to at least get to his hands and knees. When Simon Peter realized that the man, this man Jesus had miracle power, Simon told Jesus to stay away from him because he was a wicked man. Please get off of my boat. I'm a wicked man. When John was in the island and in the spirit on the Lord's day, he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ in all of his glory and power and dominion. John saw him and fainted at the sight and laid on the ground until Jesus gave him the strength to get up. What I'm saying is that if you or I could be in his presence right now, it would transform your idea of repentance. Without the fancy word, without a way of doing it, you'd quickly call on him and say, God, I need you. I need you right now. Remember, remember this, it's so important. Many of you would say, you would confess to your mouth, I want the things of God. I want God's blessings. I want God's anointing. I want, I want God's direction. I need healing. I need God's deliverance. I need God's, just God's hand on my life. Here's what I want you to do. Look at those feet in your heart and your mind. Which way are they going? If you're talking about going there and your feet are here, you've got to have sorrow in your spirit, and you've got to turn. That turning, it takes your whole body. And if you say to me, what I, I have fallen before. I've fallen a lot of times. I've needed God to forgive me a lot of times. Continue to turn. Just If you fall, get up again. Get up again. Welcome to the crowd. All of us have. We need him. And I, I am praying that this word would settle into your heart and mind beyond this moment, beyond this Wednesday. Because every time you want to get somewhere in prayer or a work of God, you must walk through a door of repentance. No matter what you think about yourself or how much you hold yourself in a high esteem or low esteem, it doesn't matter. You go to him and say, Lord, I need you. I love you. Wash me. Cleanse me. What did David say? Search me, Lord, inside of me. Even things I don't know about myself. Search me and try me. And see if there be any wickedness in me, any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a cry of the heart. What does Isaiah say? Come now, the Lord says. Let's have a holy huddle. Want to? Let's put our heads together. Let's do it right now. Come now, let's reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet. Mm. Jesus, you're in this room. Though they be as red as scarlet, I will make, I'll wash you whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool, white as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Yeah, 
come now. Let's reason together, he's saying. I, I've, got, I've got wash for you, that you that's better than any tide or detergent or dawn out there. It'll get into your heart and your mind, your spirit, and cleanse the things that nothing else can cleanse. Stay with me right now. Reach your hand up to heaven. Talk to the Lord for just one moment. Lord, I love you. I love you. I thank you for your gorgeous word. Your word, that's life. Your word, Lord, brings light. Your word, Lord, brings deliverance to our heart and our mind. How desperately we need you, Lord. Not just this moment, but all of our life. How hungry we are for you and your ways, Lord. And yet, we often forget we've got to walk through repentance to get there. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, you emblazon these words and emblazon that concept of turning on our heart. There has to be more than sorrow. has to be more than grief. has to be more than emotion or tears or recognition that we need you. There has to be a change, Lord. We've got to turn from evil, turn to you. Turn from what you're against, then turning to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Come on, church of the living God. Let's talk to him just for, just for a short time right now. Lord, I love you. I'm crying out to your name right now. You are gracious, the word says. You are slow to anger, the word says. You are plenteous in mercy. You're full of loving kindness. Lord, you love me. You're calling my name. You love me, Lord. The enemy says it's, it's hopeless. It's, I'm too far gone. It's beyond, it's beyond any way to get back. And you say, Lord, that's not true. That, that you're calling me and you're, you're drawing me to you. This is the right time. The right time to draw near to you while you're, while you're drawing close to me. Turn to me, you say, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus, I pray. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for these people. I plead your blood upon them. I pray for everyone that's sick at home tonight. I pray you cover their bodies, Lord, and touch them right now. Arrest every sickness, Lord, that's working in their bodies or disease process, Lord, and deliver them, I pray. Bring healing to your church body in total. And cover us, I pray, and keep us this week, Lord. Protect us as we travel. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. Thank you for your, you're such a ready help, Lord. Your word is such a solid rock. I can depend upon it always, Lord. I depend upon your word. It's a solid rock, Lord. I can rest on it. I know you're unchanging God. You're a God that said, I'm not a man that I would lie. You never turn, Lord, away from your love for us. You never turn, Lord, away from your word. Thank you for your solid rock. You're a good father. You're a good father. It's what you do, Lord. You love your kids and you call us to change. You call us to transformation. I thank you for that. You never give up on us, Lord. You never quit, Lord, on us. You're so slow to anger. Except for your mercy, Lord, who can stand before you? Except for your mercy and your grace, who can even stand? Who can be but in front of you, Lord? Who can stand up except for your mercy and your grace? If it had not been the Lord on my side, where would I be? Where would I be without you, Lord? Oh, thank you for your ability to take, take dirty sins, Lord, and turn them into pure white snow. Thank you for your only ability in heaven and earth to turn what is wrong in my heart and make it clean, and you call it holy. I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your work, I pray. Plead your blood upon us as we travel. Plead your blood upon us, Lord, and keep your hand upon everyone here. In the holy and wonderful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name. Love you all. Please be careful. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening and week, and we'll see you soon. God bless you. You may be dismissed.